So this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. So if you would like to open your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, and we'll start with chapter 41. We're going through verses 1 to 45, so it's a big chunk, so bear with me as we go through it. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. 
The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to, to sub, uh, all of your pe- all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Peneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. There we go. Um, <laughs> so things have changed quite significantly for Joseph in this chapter. The last few weeks we've been looking at, at Joseph in prison and how unjust he was and, and how he was trapped there. But in the space of 45 short verses, uh, we have gone from actually Joseph being a prisoner to Joseph being in the palace. And today we're not going to look at Pharaoh's dreams because they're explained in the passage. We know what they mean. We're going to look at the activity of God throughout this passage. What has God been doing? We're going to be looking at, actually, what has Joseph done in this situation? What has God done to Joseph? What's God's plan been? And then we're going to look at how this reflects Jesus. And so we're going to start off with what did Joseph do? And, and with the, certainly with Old Testament stories, it can be easy to get the wrong end of the stick. Oh, people often do. And so if you don't know, we have a, a young son, we've got Zach, and our family know we are Christians, and so they've bought us some Christian-themed storybooks, and they got us, one of my family members got us a story on Noah and the Ark, and it is horrible, because the story goes like this, in the beginning, there was nothing, God created the universe, he made the earth, he made the stars, he made sea, he made land, he made creatures to fly above it, fish in the sea, he made plants, he made animals, he made humanity, and then God fell asleep. Yeah. Um, And then God woke up, and all of a sudden, all this time had passed, and humanity had just done horrible things to each other. And it was all God's fault, because God shouldn't have had a nap. And so I've not shredded it yet, but I may. Um, But it's got the whole wrong end of the stick. And in fact, it then says, 
Everybody in the whole world was evil, but Noah was good, and therefore God saved Noah. And it misses the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story isn't that God kind of slipped up and ruined the earth. Actually, the whole point of the story is that humanity rebelled against God, and being a merciful God, God saved humanity through Noah, but also being a holy God, there is a, a rightful price to pay for sin. That is the story of Noah, not God slipped up. And actually, in this story of Joseph, back to the text, um, in this story of Joseph, we see it could be easy to kind of go, Joseph was really good. And because Joseph was really good, he got to the top. Actually, that's not it at all. What we're going to see in here is we're going to see the story of God's grace and actually the outworking of God's plan in the details of what God has been doing all along. And so... Let's focus in on Joseph. It, it, this passage starts with the short phrase, it's been two years. So there's two years since Rich's preach last week and where we start now. Since the baker and the cupbearer have been in the prison, since the dream happened, and put yourself in Joseph's position. He's been in prison unjustly for quite a while, and then all of a sudden, this miracle comes along. God gives dreams to the cupbearer and the baker, and God gives Joseph the interpretation, and Joseph knows that the cupbearer is going to be restored, and so he says to the cupbearer, remember me. Remember me, because he knows that he's going back to be before Pharaoh. And then what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. It's two years. All of a sudden, Joseph's hope, his, his expectation, his, his maybe dreams about what what would, you know, maybe Pharaoh's guards will come in and free him from prison because the cupbearer put in a good word for him. It hasn't happened. He's been forgotten again. He's, he's in a foreign land, away from his family, unjustly imprisoned. But then one day, there's a bit of noise outside the door. There's a bit of a knock. Someone comes in and goes to the, to the jailer. He's like, have you got a Joseph in here? Uh, yeah, I do, actually, yeah. Here's Joseph, and Joseph, all of a sudden, his hope is renewed. It's back. Somebody's come for him. And very quickly, you can imagine Joseph. So someone's saying to him, the king wants to speak with you. It's gone from, he's a nobody, he's a slave serving prisoners, to being the king wants to speak to you. So he rushes out, and you imagine him getting to the palace, and the king of steward looking at him and being like, no. Wash and shave. So he does. He washes and shaves because he has to be presentable before the king. Then he's brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares the dreams. And Joseph, through what God is doing through him, interprets the dreams. He's gone from squalor to before the king. And then actually, from there, to second in command of Egypt. But what has Joseph actually done? We see as well with Joseph that with the promotion, there's quite a lot, there's quite a lot of symbolism in that bit of, of what Pharaoh does. When Pharaoh gives Joseph his signet ring, it, the signet ring is it's a sign of authority. You, you stamp things with it. You've got the seal. And so it means that Joseph's orders are kind of si signed by Pharaoh. He has that authority. Not only that, Joseph was given a wife, but not just any wife. 
She was the daughter of Potiphera. And so I'm just going to unpack this a little bit. Um, Potiphera was the priest of On. Um, On isn't an Egyptian god. This is what I found out. On is actually, it's a place in Egypt. It's also known as the Heliopolis, um, which was the center of sun god worship in the time of the Egyptians. This was the main religious center in Egypt. And around this time, actually, the sun god cult was the big religion in Egypt. And Potiphar was the head priest. He is the guy. And so his daughter, she's a pretty important person as well. And so actually by Joseph being given Potiphar's daughter as a wife, that's Joseph's entrance into high society. He's now a somebody, whereas previously he was nobody. He's gone from nothing to something. But again, what did Joseph actually do? I'm going to say not lots. Really? In previous weeks, we've been looking at Joseph's faithfulness, how he has clung to God, and that is so much a part of what has gone on here. Joseph has clung on to God. He's been in prison for years, but he's still trusting in God, and you can see that when he comes before Pharaoh. Joseph's had the same response to the baker and the, the cupbearer as he did to Pharaoh. He said, actually, it is God who can interpret dreams and not me. What did Joseph do to change his situation? Yes, he worked hard. But Joseph could have worked hard and remained in prison. There's no feasible way for him, as a slave in prison, to get promoted to second in command of Egypt. He couldn't have worked it. He couldn't have earned it. Actually, he just served his God. And that is what he did. In the situation that wasn't easy, he still trusted that God would do what he said he would do, and he still trusted in his God. Actually, the other thing that Joseph did in this passage is he got washed and shaved. Um, I'm not sure that contributes much to why he was promoted, but the two things that he did is he was faithful to God and he shaved. Um, next bit is what did God do with Joseph? I would say, in this two-year gap, and throughout actually the whole story of Joseph, God has been working on his character. Again, a way that this could be wrongly interpreted is that Joseph is a good guy. Joseph is pretty much he's perfect. And all of this story has just been things going wrong, and then God vindicating him because he's good. Actually, Joseph is a, a normal man. He is sinful like the rest of us and he got stuff wrong and so actually God has been working on his character. God has been preparing Joseph for the position God is going to put him in. And so don't think that just for two years in prison God hasn't been working on him. Romans 5 verses 3 to 5 says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Joseph had hope. 
God had been working on him in difficult situations. This was not something that Joseph had planned or ever thought would happen. When he, when he was a young man and he had a dream of his family bowing down to him, this was not his plan of getting there, going through prison in a, in a foreign country. That wasn't on the agenda. But actually, God has been shaping him. What Joseph has learned has been to trust in God in all situations. It has been to, to know that God is in charge. And so, when it comes to us, what is, what is our approach when the situation isn't as we thought it would be? Is our, is our approach to glory in our sufferings? <laughs> or is it, as Ben was talking about the other week, to, to pity ourselves a little bit? To have a bit of a sulk? And just like Rich was saying last week, it's situations and suffering, it's, it's never easy. This isn't something just to be flippant about. You know, it could be situations where we are single and we want to be married. We are married, but we want kids. We want a job, but we can't get one. What if our kids don't believe? These are all situations where, in real life, God can teach us things, and God will teach us things. In fact, I would say that... Well, in fact, I know... All of us here are not the people we used to be because situations in life have changed us. Situations in life have molded us. God has used things to knock off our edges. God has used situations to, to make us more like him, and it's not easy. In fact, we see, we, see, um, we see characters in the Bible not knowing what God's plan is, not having the best response. Elijah's a good one. We have the whole Mount Carmel experience. And then after that, he has an almighty sulk. He, he, he just, it doesn't get God's plan, and it's not going his way, and so he spits the dummy out. Um, another one, actually, I think, is the disciples. They have a big hope. Jesus has come. The Messiah is here. He's bringing back glory to Israel. And then he dies on a cross. The one they put all their hope in is, is crucified as a common criminal. What do they do? They're, they're thrown off. They're, they're confused. They, maybe they begin to lose hope. This wasn't what we thought would happen. But then it turns around. Jesus, once was dead, rises again. He actually shows them how in charge God is. And, and what lesson did they learn? Keep trusting God. Yeah, the situation might not be where you think it is, but God is working it out for his plan. I want to, just, just a little bit of a challenge. It can be easy for us to look at other people and think, they've had it pretty easy, you know. And certainly in situations where something has been a struggle for us, for example, money, for example, we could be those kind of people where money has been tight all of our life. We have struggled with money. It has been hard to afford anything. We, we've lived hand to mouth. And there can be other people who have more money. And we go, their life's been pretty easy. They're loaded. You know, if you're rich, life isn't a problem. But I can guarantee there are other areas of life where 
They will have struggled. Difficulties will have come, and God will have used that to shape them, but it'll have hurt. And in fact, that might have been situations where we haven't had the same struggles. And so, if, if there is anybody where we have that attitude of, they've had it a bit easy, I want to gently suggest we go and speak to them. Because if that's what we think, then we probably don't know them well enough. We don't know how God has used difficulties, how God has used hardness in their lives to shape them and to make them more like him. And actually, when we hear that testimony, it can be a beautiful thing. It's so great hearing people say, I don't understand that situation. I don't understand why I have been put through that. But I know that God is faithful. I know that God is working for my good. Which means next, we're going to look at what was God's plan. Now, I've uh, put this into a bit of a pictorial representation. So we're going to start off with this bloke, who you can obviously tell is Abraham. Yes, I've done this myself, so be kind. Um, <laughs> this is Abraham. And in Genesis 15:13, God speaks to Abraham, and he says, one day your descendants are going to be in a foreign land. They're going to be slaves, and they're going to be mistreated. So God's plan for Joseph doesn't start with Joseph. God's plan for Joseph starts with his great-granddad. And actually, it goes beyond that, but just for the sake of this illustration, it starts with the great-granddad. So then next, with that promise... Joseph has a dream. And we're going to be looking here, actually, at the little details, just like Lucy interpreted. The little details are where we're seeing God working. And so Joseph has a dream. God gives Joseph this dream. But think about it. God gave Joseph this dream knowing how Joseph would react. God, in charge of all things, knew that Joseph would share it with his parents and his brothers. God therefore also knew how his brothers would react. They weren't too chuffed about the whole thing, about them bowing down to Joseph. God knew that they would try and kill Joseph. So, at just the right time, God sent the Midianites. That's a camel, not a Midianite. Um, But they came on their train of camels. And God sent them at just the right time. So Joseph's brothers didn't kill Joseph as they were planning. They sold him into slavery. They saw the opportunity to make a little bit of money and not kill their brother. And so they chose that. God also knew that those Midianites were off to Egypt. So all of a sudden, Joseph is being sent to a foreign land where he was sold as a slave to Potiphar. He looks a lot like Joseph's brother, but that's Potiphar. Um, God knew that Potiphar was going to buy the slave. Now, Potiphar was a member of the king's staff, which is key here. God also knew quite how Potiphar's wife would respond to having Joseph around, which would... You're a bit worried about this next picture, aren't you? Um, 
make Potiphar angry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because Potiphar was angry, he sent Joseph to prison. But not just any prison. Because Potiphar was a member of the king's staff, Joseph went to Pharaoh's prison. That's Pharaoh on the prison, by the way. Um, This meant that Joseph came in contact with the cupbearer and the baker. And so we're seeing how all these things are stringing together, how all the little details of what God is doing in Joseph, they're building up to this point. All of a sudden, he is in the prison, that is the king's prison, and therefore is coming into contact with the king's staff those that have displeased the king, not just all of them. Um, Then God gives the baker and the cupbearer dreams. Now, God didn't have to do that, but he did because he's working out his plan. And he gives Joseph the interpretation. Now, the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh. And now, all of a sudden, somebody who knows of Joseph is before the king. He is in front of Pharaoh, admittedly forgets about Joseph for two years. But again, God knows that. God knows that the cupbearer had the memory of a goldfish. God also gave Pharaoh a dream. God, again, didn't have to do that. But is God working out his plan? God is fully in charge. He knows what he is doing. We see because of Joseph's response, and actually not just Joseph's response, it is God working in Joseph. The reason that they put Joseph as second in command of Egypt isn't because he's a great guy. Actually, they say, do we know of anybody who has the spirit of God in them like Joseph. It is actually because of God working that he becomes second in command of Egypt. And so what we've seen here is actually God at work in both the good and the bad situations. And so it's not a case of God being in charge when things are good and then when things go wrong, God's fallen asleep. Or God, just let the reins go. Actually, God is in charge all of the time. And this, this is summed up by a theological word called providence. And that is the sense that actually God is in charge when things are good and things are bad. Um, I think a good example of just explaining this is there's a document a few hundred years old now called the, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's set out as a set of questions and answers. And, and it's really good for explaining just some things about God. It's really good at looking at what your faith means. And so here we go. In question 27, the question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer is this. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them, leaf and blade, 
rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then the next question, question 28. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. What's great is this morning through what Neil's brought, what Lucy shared, and actually what Alistair's brought, is that we've seen testimony of this amongst ourselves today. God is completely in charge. When situations aren't going as we want them to go, we can know God is still completely in charge. We can look at Joseph and how Joseph continues to trust in God when he's unjustly imprisoned or when he is promoted to second in command of Egypt. We know that God has this in his hand. And so this story isn't be good and God will put you in charge of things. This story is God is in control. It is all his and he is working his plan. But this plan includes all of us. God is so much bigger than us. He is so much greater than us that he can work all of the aspects of our individual lives into this great tapestry of what he is doing for the whole world and for all time. It's mind-blowing when we just try and grasp a bit of it. We can look back at Joseph's story and see the little details that God has done. We can look back at our own lives and see where God has brought us. But it's so hard when we start thinking about how God has worked other people's lives into this situation, to this moment now. You are here right now because God wanted you here. Actually, by his providence, by his complete control, by his complete knowing of everything, you are here. And not just that. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called... He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Our God is working for our good. And we see in this story, we've, we've looked at actually how God is working. <coughs> Excuse me. And God is working for the good of his people and his church. And that should give us faith. That should give us hope. Just like we saw in Romans 5. When things are hard, when we're persevering, we have hope because our hope is in a God who never fails. The takeaway from this story is God does not fail. God's plans will always come to pass. And so the last thing today, where do we see Jesus in this? We believe that 
the whole Bible points towards him. And actually, in this passage, we see a kind of echo, a shadow of Jesus' work, or actually what Jesus has done for us. We see how Joseph was imprisoned, and then all of a sudden, it turned around by not his own work, but by what God had done to make him basically royalty. And in God's work in us, this is what we see. We too were slaves. The Bible talks about this. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John 8, verse 34. It says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That is our situation before God, or it was before we knew Jesus. We were trapped. We were bound. But then Romans 8, verses 14 to 15 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Just as things changed for Joseph, things changed for us. Where once we were enemies, where once we were slaves, where once we were trapped and chained, actually now we are free, but not just free, we've been adopted. Whereas Joseph was, he was second in command of Egypt, but he wasn't an heir. He wasn't a son of Pharaoh, he just, he had a position of responsibility. Actually for us, it's greater than what happened to Joseph. We are now children of God. Because of all that Jesus has done, we are now in on the inheritance. We are co-heirs. We get blessed where we didn't deserve it. Where our sin held us trapped, God broke our chains. God is the one who has set us free. We cannot earn that. We cannot work our way out of prison. And that is why we love to glorify him. That is why we love to worship him. Because he has done it all. But there's also great things to look forward to. Just as Joseph got married, actually we're looking forward to a greater wedding day. We're looking forward to a time where we as the church are married to our saviour. There will be a huge party. We're looking towards eternity. And, and where Joseph got designer robes and gold chains, we're looking towards the gifts that are going to be poured out in Christ, in our great eternity with him. We have been given so much. And this story of Joseph is just a foretaste. It's just a showing of the grace of God. And it's just an outline of all that he has done in us who believe. Let's pray and worship God. 